Kiora, Tenakoto, Tenakoto, Tenakoto Katoa. That's mm-hmm. my Maori greeting. That's yeah. uh, welcome to all uh, and uh, greeting to all that are here, present. And I say Tenakoto, Tenakoto, Tenakoto three times because it's everyone present here. It is our family. And also it's uh, for those who are not here, but we would like to be here. So yeah. absent friends. Yeah. Uh, and so, Tom, the first question I'm going to today, we're very fortunate we have the legend Dr. Tom Martinek from, fortunately, the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. But first of all, I have to ask you, Tom, what's the weather like in Greensboro today? It's a gorgeous day, you know? Everybody's laying low, but it's a beautiful day. Absolutely. And what's the temperature? I think it's in the 70s. I think low 70s today. And, you know, it's uh, good walking weather and, you know, everybody's out walking and everybody's got a dog now next to them. So that's an, <laughs> yeah, if you never done it before COVID-19, everybody has a dog. Jeez, everybody's got a dog. Yeah, it's kind so. of funny, isn't it? A little yeah. humorous. Um, so uh, I'd like to welcome you all to our class, which is Creative Pedagogies at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Uh, we've been doing a number of lectures and you know you can pop in and out of these. Uh, there's about 15 in total. Um, Mm-hmm. And first, what I do is I ask people the weather because we've had people from different countries uh, like uh, Australia, Brazil, Switzerland, wow. uh, the UK. So it's kind of fun. Uh, and then I say well, the first time I met the person who's here, and fortunately, I've actually met every person we've had on. And the first time I met Tom Martinek, I think was, I'm pretty sure it was at an AFID conference. It was the American Alliance of Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. For those of you who forget that, it is now called something else, Shape sure. America. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Tom was presenting this new concept called learned helplessness or something I'd never heard before. And then later he published that in JTPE. And it was about at-risk youth uh, from my recollection. And then the next time I met Tom, very fortunately, we played golf together at uh, one of the uh, Ohio State reunions. So without further ado, I'd like to ask Tom Martinek to, um, to jump in here. Yeah. Uh, t- Tom, you, we can share your slides uh, or you should be able to access the share button if you jump down the bottom. There's a green button. It's a green uh, button. Yeah, at the very bottom. Mm. So next to chat, there's chat and then green. I mean, chat and then share screen. I think I, uh, let me see. Next to the chat. Yes. Of course, I'm colorblind when you say green. Oh, there's participant (laughs) and then there's chat and the next one should say share screen. All right, let's see. Hold on. As you click on Uh, that, you should be able to take control of the screen. I think I've got. And I'm giving the right directions, right, Colonel? I've got something here. Let me see. Um, well, uh oh, lost you guys. Hold on. No problem. No, that might just be the screen share. And when you do that, it'll just you, your screen comes up, and then we just become smaller. Let me see. Let me see. the The chat button is on the bottom here. You see. Yeah, the next one beside the chat should be uh, uh, screen share and it should have a little arrow on it. Let's see. And if you click on that. 
trying to think where the chat button is. I don't see any chat button. If you scroll down, you have to use Oh, your wait, cursor. I see it, yeah. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Use your cursor to get down there. Eddie, we can edit all this out. Is that okay, Eddie? Yeah. I've got a oh, chat button and then... Um, it should be screen share. And I can Let's share see. the screen with the PPT and Dr. Marinek can just... What's that? Yeah. Do you want to speak up, Eddie? Yeah. I mean, I can share the screen, the PPT from my laptop, and yeah. Martinic just uh, can okay. advance or next slide I can go to. Okay. Can I, so I'll prompt you, Eddie. Is that right? Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. Oh, yeah. I Good see. man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Great. Well, um, first of all, it's uh, uh, great to be able to uh, be able to join this uh, class, and I know that uh, Ben has always been excited about involving just a lot of different people in his classes and reaching out to international folk, and I think that's really nice. It's a real plus for our department. Um, for those that uh, have had me, and I think this is everyone here except for you, Jennifer, um, uh, one of the things I always like to do is kind of give a little background about, you know, why I got involved with uh, youth development and kind of a little kind of historical route to that. And one of the things that um, when I came to North Carolina, UNC Greensboro, I was really hired in teacher education and uh, had done my uh, doctorate at Boston University working with um, uh, John Cheffers, who was a uh, mentor of mine at that time and got involved with a lot of different issues in South Boston, desegregating schools, and also working with a lot of at-risk youth at that time. But also it focused me on kind of the psychosocial areas of teaching. And so that was something that I brought along when I joined uh, the UNCG family. And also the other stuff that I brought along were just my own experiences in sport and, and also teaching in the schools and uh, having taught in the public schools in Chicago and then also overseas in the Department of Defense overseas school system. Um, I had those experiences to bring in and to kind of foster a kind of a pathway for me to help provide professional experiences for students who wanted to work into the public schools. And that's why I was hired here. Um, and that uh, gave me the opportunity to work with some really great faculty here. Uh, we had a set of faculty that were very dedicated to professional development. To be honest with you, at that time it was Department of Physical Education, but uh, our biggest focus here in, in, in the School of Health, Physical Education, Recreation and Dance was teacher education. That was the uh, shining star. It was the cornerstone for our particular uh, department. So that was the result of just having very committed faculty and I was lucky to work with, uh, with these faculty and to develop some great experiences of how to train teachers and to get them prepared to work in the schools. But uh, as always, you, as a new professor and assistant professor, you're expected to be able to do research and to uh, publish your research and get it out there. And uh, 
based on the experiences that I had at Boston University working in after-school programs, uh, I brought those experiences with me to start these programs out in the schools here in, in Greensboro. And so that was part of the effort that I uh, put forth to be able to get my research program going and uh, was very interested, as I told you earlier, in the psychosocial aspects of teaching. And in particular, uh, I became very interested in the whole idea of uh, the effects of teacher expectations on uh, students' perceptions of their capabilities, and borrowing a lot from Robert Rosenthal's work, and then also from a lot of the other educational psychologists um, that uh, also did similar types of work, uh, began to carve out kind of a research program that looked at teacher expectations and how those expectations become self-prophetic in, in the way that they form kids' ability or per perceptions of their ability to uh, be successful in different types of uh, achievement situations. So that was the focus of my research, and I did that. Uh, for about 15 years, uh, just focusing on that and uh, working with all kinds of students, working with teachers. And also it tied me into, as Ben mentioned, into the whole idea of, of learned helplessness and how expectations and the way that we, uh, as teachers and coaches, convey those expectations to kids, how they form those types of perceptions that are perceptions about an ability to control certain situations, to be able to turn things around, uh, especially in terms of failure situations. And so that particular line of research uh, really drew me into working with all kinds of students and especially with what we call at-risk students. And what we mean by at-risk students at that time were students who were just really kind of falling through the cracks, uh, students who just uh, really had um, a real challenge in terms of staying on track academically and socially, uh, just perceived that failure was a part of their life and uh, trying to turn those perceptions around uh, with different types of physical activity interventions. And so some of that research uh, that I was doing was really kind of connecting kids to certain types of experiences that hopefully could kind of drift into their perceptions of, of their capabilities, improving their, their sense of capability. So when I was doing that, I was uh, publishing that, you know, like all good professors to get tenure and, and uh, was presenting it. And that's probably um, one of the reasons that uh, Ben and I met at uh, the Seyford Convention, but uh, was able to get it out there and to really kind of uh, leave kind of a footprint in terms of a personal footprint in terms of uh, being someone that's interested in that particular area of research that is to learn helplessness. And in doing that work, I began to work with uh, these at-risk kids um, as I mentioned before, and uh, it was just a population of kids that uh, really kind of caught my attention in terms of just how their particular response to different types of experiences would 
um, would vary. And it really varied according to the type of experiences they were having. And so I uh, just drew my attention to the uh, idea that you could form certain experiences that kind of provide the opportunity for some success in some level so that kids can move forward from that that particular experience to the next level of success. And in doing that, I began to look for some kind of framework that would guide those types of experiences for me to, to plan them. And so as a result of that, I met a fellow by the name of Don Hellison, who was doing uh, work with at-risk kids at Portland State University. And Don and I met at actually an AFERD conference also, and we just kind of chit-chatted and uh, we uh, was very interested in his work and with the kids that he was working with, and then also became in, enamored with the model that he had developed, uh, teaching personal social responsibility model, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, it just really captured uh, the essence of what I was trying to do with these kids. This model really provided a great framework for me to be able to plan experiences and to evaluate to a certain extent how these experiences are impacting uh, kids, especially kids that saw failure as an inevitability and, and um, trying to change that whole concept, that mindset around. So again, doing work with what we call at-risk populations and started to run after-school programs uh, using that model. And, I ended up working with a principal from one of the public schools here in Greensboro, Hampton School, which was connected to where they were con the school was uh, uh, set in a what we call a public housing area in Greensboro called Morningside Homes. And she wanted to see if I could run a program for the kids in her school that were really struggling uh, both behaviorally and also academically. And there were kids also that lived in that neighborhood. And uh, there were kids that didn't have much to do after school. They had a lot of free time at that. And she wanted to really see a way in which we could displace that free time with some uh, positive experiences, and in particular, physical activity. So she asked if I would start a program there. And I said, sure. And started that program with the intent of doing the program at the school. And she said, well, uh, if there's a possibility, can you do that program at uh, the university campus? Because what I'd like, what you would like to see these kids do is get out of the neighborhood and to see some a different environment. And so we were able to muster up uh, a grant from uh, the state was offering and, and, and the grant paid for transportation to bring these kids over to our campus and to uh, bring them back and to also help support uh, some of the instructional um, aspects of the program by uh, supporting your graduate students. So anyway, we got that going and um, that program, oh, we called it Project Effort, and that program went pretty well the first year. Um, you know, you always have little bumps in the road, um, but 
it uh, it was a good start, and we wanted to stay with that program again for the next year, and also to stay with the same kids if we could. And so, with that intent in mind, we started that program the next year, and we had some of the same kids, and then we also added some on, and we continued over several years, and eventually it lapped over into a middle school program or junior high school program. Uh, hopefully hanging on to the same kids that we started with in the elementary school. And so we had a program both for elementary and middle school or junior high school uh, kids. And then that eventually moved into the high school uh, with what we call the Youth Leader Corps program, which I'll also talk about later on. But anyway, so it was kind of a building block approach. Uh, each year we added on with the intent of kind of keeping these kids connected and hopefully um, steering them in the right direction, um, both in terms of their social uh, efforts, but uh, also in academically to help keep them anchored in the, their academic uh, experience at schools. So that was that was the start of it, and we kept that going. I think it's that particular program started in, in, in 1993, and so we still have it going. And uh, it's been a program that uh, has seen a lot of different kids come through. But it's also a program that has also been a kind of a passion for me in, in a sense that, uh, one, I always felt that you can make some kind of difference maybe with some of the kids. You don't always hit 100% on this, but it also provided an opportunity for bringing on uh, my students, the graduate and undergraduate students, had an opportunity for them to work with those kids. And also, there was a couple byproducts out of that out of that effort. One was uh, the idea of providing a professional development program, uh, which we call community youth sport development. And uh, we started that as an undergraduate program to parallel the uh, teacher ed program. Actually, we did that for about oh gosh, it was about ten years, and then uh, we didn't get a lot of students in. So the university decided to uh, uh, take that program and make it into a minor. So we have that CYSD minor, but we also retained it as a master's program. And then also for uh, students who are doing their PhD, we have that as a concentration as well. But anyway, so that's one product that came out of it. Uh, the other product that also came out of it was the idea of um, producing graduate students who want to go out and uh, study youth development and also to even start their own after-school program in some way. And so we've, we've had that as a really nice byproduct uh, where I have had some really great un, uh, graduate students who have finished up in the program to go out at their own university and start after school programs. So that that is kind of a, a quick profile of where I'm at right now and where I've been. And it's uh, it's as they say a, a pathway that I've kind of carved out um, with the I, with the intent of really kind of providing a more of a community engaged effort to help students who are uh, at risk and to at the same time really uh, provide an opportunity for the university to uh, 
have some kind of value uh, to the community uh, through this particular program. And also, I, I think it's uh, another aspect of it is to think about it as a uh, program that um, also kind of helps to uh, maybe raise a level of awareness for schools uh, that are involved with our program to kind of uh, pay attention to these kids and to really try to uh, connect them to the efforts that we're doing in this program to their own teaching. And so that that has kind of come out of this and working with some of the teachers uh, of these kids in some way and also some of the parents. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit about uh, the history of where I am at and how I got involved with uh, youth development. And again, the genesis of all this work was uh, starting out with as a teacher educator uh, to prepare teachers to go out in schools. And hmm. as you can tell, it just kind of diverged into this uh, youth development pathway that I'm uh, at right now. So, um, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, the idea of youth development um, and uh, what we know about youth development as a field and how that can connect to professional development and then also tie that into um, particular ways in which youth development is being tied into the sport arena and, and talk specifically about sport-based youth development and where we are with that at the present time. Anyway, um, so positive youth development. Um, I don't know. Let me ask uh, some of you, what, what is your perception of uh, what we mean by youth development? How would you perceive that particular area as a, I guess, as a uh, way in which we can address issues in, in youth in some way? Jennifer, how about you? How do, what do you think? So um, having spent 20 years in, in middle grades, mathematics um, as my teaching base, you know, youth development um, for me, it, I, I don't want to say that it was a new term, but I don't think it's a term that we really stressed mm -hmm. so much because um, we, we were, we were leaning more towards things like, um, you know, differentiation and, um, multiple intelligences like getting yeah, at right. kids through that lens so um and and sort of that whole ethic of care and pedagogy of care is new for me yeah. um but yeah. i appreciated in your articles the way in which you talked about it as sort of this responsibility based mm -hmm. um idea and that um that was something I had never thought of before uh, yeah. through yeah. the work that I had done. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's an interesting shift. Uh, I think with educators right now, because uh, we're looking at some of the different aspects of youth development now that are starting to drift into uh, the curriculum in, yes. in uh, schools and yes. one of its teaching responsibility. Now it's social, emotional learning. Uh, we've got restorative justice coming in. Yep. Um, so you've got all those particular concepts now that have kind of been anchored in youth development field, I feel, and now are drifting into, into the schools because the schools are really searching for 
how we can help kids, not just academically, but just keeping them um, anchored and, and being, you know, socially competent and uh, good citizens within the school. So, and you mentioned the ethic of care, you know, Nell Nottings, um, you know, her work is obviously, she's always felt that one of the things we, we are missing is that whole idea of how kids can care for each other, not only care for each other, but just care for the environment, you know, and, and reaching out beyond that. So, but uh, it's, you're, you're, you brought up a good point. I think schools now are kind of searching for that. Eddie, and how about you? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just click around and, you know, the screen doesn't <laughs> look good, so I just mute myself, I just, yeah. So I think uh, positive youth development is uh, based on the assumption that uh, all the youth, they have the potential, uh, you know, they have a potential or they, they have the strength uh, for a positive change if you create um, an environment for them. You know, to and also I think positive youth development is uh, uh, much focused on the, the 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 creation of the use the the self-esteem and All also right. yeah self-esteem and also austerism uh, and also uh, volunteerism to you know to help them Absolutely. To have this sense of responsibility to help others carry others it's like a part of the social behaviors mm -hmm. and also we want to try to encourage the kids to you know use these social behaviors or responsibilities uh beyond their class yeah use their use these um uh these skills in their community or at their homes so yeah. it's like a totally it's like a development change of the the youth life Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a big challenge, too, when we talk about youth work is getting that application to be able to use that in their own lives. But it's because there's one of the things that we're finding is that, you know, kids get off track because of certain challenges that they have in their own lives. And a lot of times those challenges don't go away. So, you know, how do they navigate through that and really kind of try to keep a um, keep a positive direction in terms of their own lives and how they can impact other people. Otherwise you're not going to get change at all. So, but I think your, your point is good. Sunyan, how about you? You've had a little bit of me so far, so I know what you're. Um, in my understanding, I think youth development is um, about detecting the moment. I think I agree with Eddie that um, every youth has some kind of potential to improve their, themselves. But I think it's really important for um, educators or education system to give them enough opportunities to improve their responsibility or leadership skills. So if we don't uh, provide you know, enough opportunities with them, I think um, the moment for improvement can disappear. It disappear, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, positive youth development, you know, it's it's been around for a while. I mean, when we look at it, um, you know, it, we look at the whole aspect of the beginning of positive youth development, its form, um, you can go back to the 1920s, actually, maybe even before that, 
but you know where we had a large immigration population immigrant uh, population that came in uh, with families and families were trying to get work but they brought in their kids and what do you do with the kids and they were concerned about how do we keep the kids on track so that concern about kids um, and families has always been there and so out of that began to uh, there was a movement to really kind of provide different types of programs that could spring up to take care of the kids and one of the things was um, you know to help develop skills in the kids in some way provide certain types of skills that kids could use later on uh, also Jennifer going back to the ethic of care where kids could really kind of be positive contributors to each other and and uh, to help uh, in general the community and so that has always been there it's the roots are there and from that you know you've had programs that have kind of um, floated up to the top you know you had 4-H clubs you know which addressed the rural communities you had YMCA's you have the YWCA's um, you have all of these programs that are really kind of focused in on uh, developing different skills um, helping them in school um, and so these particular types of programs were really kind of ones that uh, really sprung out of a uh, perception within the community and parents and families of what can we do to really get our kids uh, anchored and, and uh, to be able to be uh, positive contributors to the community and, and to be good kids, you know, just to really be good kids in some way. So uh, positive youth development is not something new. It's been there and it's been in different shapes. Uh, what has happened though is we have tried to look at how good are these programs what is the um, viability of these programs to to be able to address the needs of kids and so there has been um, variability in terms of some programs do it really well some programs don't do it well and it's a lot of reasons for that variability it's resources it's training and all of that um, one of the things that we do know is that certain characteristics of programs seem to uh, prevail uh, in uh, those that are successful in some way and one of the the early studies uh, this was a DeWitt Wallace uh, Reader's Digest fund uh, program that was done in the 90, uh, 1990s uh, and then also I think there was a companion program by the National Council uh, and Institute of Medicine that began to look at programs and looking at what are the quality of these programs? What are some of the things they're doing and not doing? And they began to form kind of a profile of what these successful programs were. And it began to really kind of give a kind of a platform and a base for how uh, programs could be developed, how we could train people, uh, train people to uh, provide leadership in these programs. And so uh, that particular, uh, that particular study um, back then really kind of moved things forward a little bit more. But it also, they found out in those particular programs that one of the things that really seemed to be viable in terms of producing positive impact on kids was the use of physical activity in sport and that whole idea of using physical activity in sport uh, began to be a, an important element 
in terms of how we uh, form the different types of experiences that these kids offer. And if, one of the things that came out of that uh, DeWitt Wallace uh, study was that if they, when they were looking at different types of experiences that were really positive and uh, experiences that really uh, help uh, encourage kids to come back to the program um, and how they were able to retain kids is one of the things that kept coming up to the surface was physical activity. Kids love the part of a program that has some kind of physical activity. So there was a certain attraction that was offered by inclusion of physical activity in these uh, uh, youth development programs. And so out of that kind of bubbled up the whole idea of what we call sport-based youth development, those programs that really focus on the notion of how sport can be carved out in a way that uh, really provides uh, certain types of learning experiences that promote uh, positive behavior, social competence, uh, again, going back to the research that I was involved in, the idea of how kids can get some kind of control over their lives and making good decisions and being able to navigate through, in many cases for kids, a, a toxic system. So how that, why that takes place, um, I'm going to have you hit the first slide there, uh, Eddie. Is um, I always think about why is sport uh, so effective and I've just tied in uh, just four elements there that I wanted to bring to your attention. These were things that I uh, I came up with and also there's a book called um, uh, A Place Called Home which uh, is a uh, book that was written by uh, I'm trying to think um, uh, Hirsch was an, uh, the uh, author of this and what he did was he looked at uh, different things that uh, what sport could could do and he came up with these four different elements and one was a uh, the idea that all kids like sport uh, it's a kind of a natural attraction and I always felt you know when running my own programs one of the greatest allies that I have is that we have physical activity as our main content area here in kinesiology and uh, having come from a sports background myself and then also having students that have come from a sport background um, that whole content uh, content of sport really plays uh, in a uh, in a very positive way the the role of attracting kids into the different types of experiences and then also uh, it's part of the culture um, that is sport is all around us uh, we think about sport in terms of you know just how we um, look at certain types of values that we hold uh, you know we look at uh, how sport becomes a part of our life in terms of entertainment uh, and certainly in terms of our own participation but it's a it's a part of our culture it just it really envelops everything uh, that we do daily and also sport is a moral activity um, you know, because of its dynamic nature and its interactive nature that it provides so many different types of moral experiences for kids to work through and to, in a certain way, these moral experiences really kind of reflect those kinds of moral issues that crop up in their own lives. So um, that in and of itself uh, really provides a, a great vehicle and a great uh, moment to have a teachable uh, period for kids that are 
experience certain types of moral issues in in the uh, sport activity. And then um, the last part is just uh, sport just has a capability of enhancing personal capacity. So if we're looking at sport, sport-based youth development, uh, we have a great, great opportunity to make things uh, both morally sound for kids and then also to provide something that is not foreign to them, but also something that can be used sport in a way that helps to nurture their own personal capacity in, in different ways. So that's, I think just a uh, important case why sport-based youth development has really taken a, an important foothold in, in the youth development uh, area. So next slide, slide there, Eddie. We talked about uh, youth-based sport um, youth development and also some of the things that um, have come out of some of the research. And what we do know is that there are certain principles that um, uh, apply to effective sport-based youth development programs. And these particular principles really kind of, I think, provide uh, some of the important guideposts for how we develop and how we deliver certain types of programs uh, in youth development. And I've just got a list of these. These are just uh, different types of attributes that uh, really seem to uh, be important ones relative to effective programming. And, and one of the important ones right at the top is that asset strength-based uh, approach. And the idea of really kind of looking at kids as uh, something that they all have something to offer. There are certain types of assets that are in, uh, in kids that uh, just need to be brought to the surface and to provide those experiences that allow kids to really explore some of the positive things that they can do and, and uh, to provide them some positive idea about their capacity to be successful in something. So the approach of taking an asset of, of a kid and the strength of a kid and bringing that to reality for youngsters through sport experience um, is, is such an important quality of, of programming. And I always use this example, but a perfect um, uh, way that's demonstrated is, you know, there's a, a program called Midnight Basketball. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Midnight Basketball was a program that was started many years ago. And we started in a Philadelphia uh, school, and uh, what they decided to do is that they wanted to uh, find ways in which uh, kids that were uh, at night uh, not having anything to do is uh, they would just roam the streets and there'd be all kinds of problems. And so they decided to open the gyms. And uh, when they opened the gyms, they thought, well, we'll bring the kids in uh, to play and participate. So these kids that were causing problems out in the street now could be brought in the gym. And what they found out initially is that when they brought them in the gym, uh, they essentially brought the problems that they had from the streets into the gym. So they didn't go away. And so they were scratching their heads, you know, uh, great idea, get them off the streets. You got them in the gym, you know, um, got problems in the gym now. So what they found out and what they really discovered that uh, really kind of turned that program around is that we got to look at some way in which we can really 
use the idea of physical activity, sport in the gym, and to really kind of provide a structured environment where we really build upon those particular strengths in some way to have some kind of guideposts that we can use sport to help nurture those particular types of assets that kids have. Uh, so rather than dealing with problems with the kids have, we're looking, we take the approach that we're going to build on different types of strengths that the kids have. And that, with that approach, that turned the whole program around. Midnight basketball was turned around uh, 180 degrees and it uh, and ended up being a very, very successful program with, this, with the idea of really focusing on what these kids could bring to the table in terms of their strengths. They're also the idea of empowerment, giving kids um, different opportunities to make decisions, uh, to make sure they're physically and psychologically safe. Uh, so important. Uh, the idea that they not only in terms of just physical safety, but also just emotional safety, that they could participate in some way. They could failure wasn't an issue. Failure was just a starting point to become better at something. And uh, they wanted to really kind of make sure that they could focus on the, on the whole person. So anyway, those are four things. There's some other ones, I think, on another slide there, Eddie, if you hit it. There's other four things uh, that uh, also were important relative to uh, positive youth development. Uh, the idea of um, local connections, getting them connected with different aspects of the community so they could stretch out and look at different ways in which the community can be served in different ways. Also how the community could be a player in terms of providing good programs. So tying in those types of resources, uh, looking at the individuality of the youth, um, every kid is different. Um, how you address those individual differences is so important. And, and then developing those futures for kids, um, the idea of getting kids to think about, all right, this is what I'm dealing with now, where can I go with this? And to get things, get kids to kind of think a little bit about um, what what their particular future is like. And to be honest with you, the kids that I've worked with and um, with other people that have worked in youth development programs, uh, most of these kids uh, kind of look at really short-term um, stays in the, in the moment. Uh, the idea of looking beyond what kinds of things they're struggling with is really difficult. And so if you can widen that lens in some way to look at different ways that they can see their future headed uh, in a positive way. Um, you know, those programs have been so effective in, in uh, really kind of giving kids, again, that sense of personal capacity. And then the last one I always think is so important and something to think about in terms of uh, programming is uh, who runs those programs. And those particular programs, if you look at uh, not only the attractiveness of a sport, uh, the physical activity itself, bringing in kids, but another big attractor is that that person uh, who kids uh, feel that they can connect with and uh, can um, address and um, be able to interact with them in a safe way. Uh, that person that they perceive as a caring adult is so important. So when you look at that research, these are some important qualities that are so important to kind of hang on to that really define what a program can do and how it can impact kids in a, in a positive way. So anyway, um, the idea of uh, what we do know is so important to hang on to. And uh, 
right now, as a as you look at uh, after school program uh, initiatives that are going on, they're beginning to even form some of these particular types of of uh, assessment tools now that are looking at programs and even thinking about credentialing programs to a certain degree um, to uh, be able to give them some kind of certification in terms of uh, and credentialing in terms of how they deliver an effective youth program. So mentioned the idea of, of uh, Midnight Basketball coming in with the idea of, of how they can approach uh, learning for kids and how they can be guided by certain things. Um, there are different models that really kind of embrace positive youth development, especially in sport. And one of the models, Eddie, if you hit this, um, Richard Lerner has a program, it's called the five C's model. I don't know, maybe I've talked about this in our class soon, but uh, hit that next slide, will you, Eddie? Yeah, and five uh, C model, just basic guideposts that Lerner has come up with, um, looking at uh, five qualities uh, that are uh, driven by different um, different types of competencies, and one is uh, you know feeling competent to be able to do well, character, uh, connection, confidence, caring, and compassion. These five C's um, uh, are adopted by a lot of different programs. It's a pretty pretty simple, straightforward uh, set of competencies that uh, programs are. Uh, delivering uh, those particular programs that uh, focus on these five C's, uh, do it in different types of experiences. But the idea of getting uh, kids to be competent socially, especially uh, being competent in terms of how they interact with the, each other, um, being connected to uh, different resources, connected to each other as well as uh, in the community. Um, and again, confidence and caring and compassion uh, all of these great, these are great, great care, uh, qualities that um, are represented in uh, learner's model. And I, it's a uh, model, as I say, pretty sim simplistic. It uh, drives into those particular qualities that uh, any program should have. But uh, again, um, again, it represents a model that kind of gives some framework uh, for how a program will be delivered. The other one, uh, this other one that uh, go through real quickly. Uh, if you hit the other slide there, Eddie. This is uh, Peter Benson's 40 asset model. And this particular model focuses on these different assets that are focused on uh, through different types of activities. And there's what we call external assets, which are, as you can see, are support, empowerment, um, boundaries, expectation, constructive use of time. and these are things in which assets are supported, are helped to elevate the qualities of the program in some way from outside to have proper support, to be able to have empowerment, also to be able to define certain boundaries and expectations for the, for the uh, individual and uh, to be able to get them to use uh, time in a constructive way. So Benson has kind of driven home the idea that these particular ex external assets are something that help to really fortify, augment um, a program experience. And then he has these other internal uh, assets, Betty. And these are different uh, 
types of qualities that the individual gains from the experiences, and that is commitment to learning, positive values, um, competencies, and positive identity. And these are some of the more effective types of uh, qualities that the kids gain from the different types of experiences that they'll have in a particular program. There's a lot of it. There's, within those particular areas, there's individual uh, qualities that take place and it ends up being like 40 assets altogether, which I think is too many. I don't think any program can do all of it. But again, it provides kind of a framework in which programs can operate and, and uh, deliver certain types of uh, experiences for kids. The next one, if you hit that, Eddie, this one um, is one that probably is one that uh, is really kind of uh, been a prominent uh, model that has been used in sport physical activity. And this was developed by a gentleman that I mentioned earlier, Don Hellison. And uh, this particular model is dealing with that idea of responsibility that uh, you probably read in the articles that I had. And uh, it deals with uh, uh, five different levels. And these levels are not necessarily cumulative. Uh, they're very fluid. But uh, Don has put them in kind of a level framework. But uh, it focuses on uh, two dimensions, personal uh, responsibility and social responsibility. And if you look at the levels one and four, those are going to be the uh, uh, social responsibility uh, aspects that uh, uh, experiences will be developed around. And then you also have the uh, uh, levels two and three, which are personal aspects, um, uh, personal qualities that the experiences will foster. And <clears throat> these levels uh, just provide a guidepost. These are the ones that we use in our program, in the project effort program. And um, they're, they're pretty basic. Um, but they really provide an opportunity for you to design these activities that get at certain qualities of um, students' development. And it's uh, important in terms of getting kids to respect the rights and feelings of others. You know, that, that becomes a real centerpiece for a lot of what we do in our program, uh, getting kids not to give up, uh, being able to set personal goals, uh, certainly trying to help uh, each other. And the last one, take it outside the gym, is the is the big one, and that is uh, getting kids to apply these values that they experience in a program, and getting them to use in their own life. And that's always a big challenge um, in terms of what they can take with them and apply in an effective way to make them better people, uh, not only in the gym itself, but uh, even in their family and their in their neighborhood and the community. So those five goals are. Um, ones that uh, Don has really kind of embraced and uh, so many others have used uh, in, in their efforts to provide these uh, uh, responsibility programs. So uh, five different levels. And I say they're fluid because it depends how where kids come in. Uh, and you'll have some kids that are, you know, right, really having a hard time getting along with each other. So you'll focus on level one. Uh, kids tend to not really put forth their best effort. How do you get kids to really uh, get past the first stage of, of just experience, but really trying to get better at something, uh, getting kids to work on their own, all of that stuff 
uh, kids come in at different different points of that model. And that pretty much dictates the types of experiences that you're going to provide kids um, to really kind of move them along uh, so that they develop and enhance those particular areas that might be uh, challenging to them at, at one particular point in time. Working with our kids, one of the big ones is level one, uh, always getting kids to respect the rights and feelings of others. That's always been an issue and getting kids to work together um, and uh, and effort. Those probably two levels are ones that we work a lot on, um, but uh, it's so important. I always feel like respect and rights and feelings of others are so important. Other ones, the other time, otherwise the other ones uh, just are really hard to get at. So how do you do that? Well, there's cer certain strategies. Um, to give you an idea of how a program goes, um, when we do our program, we, the kids, uh, when they come in, usually come in and we kind of work with the kids for a little bit, um, just get to know them. Uh, we try to develop uh, some, some element of relationships with the kids. Uh, and then we'll have a, a group meeting with them and to just talk about different things that we wanna work on for that day, which will uh, be relative to these, uh, one of these or two of these particular levels. And then we'll go out and they become uh, involved with a physical activity that focuses on uh, these, these levels. And then we'll uh, do a little reflection afterward. We bring them in, talk about how they do as a group, uh, talk about how they did individually and, uh, and to really kind of get an idea of uh, where they are in terms of, of being personally and socially responsible. But uh, the whole idea of uh, focusing on these is really determined by certain types of strategies that we use. And Eddie, would you hit the next one for me? Yeah, um, these are the basic strategies that we really kind of uh, grow on. One is uh, being relational with the kids, trying to impact the kids uh, in a positive way. Getting to connect with the kids uh, is really critical. And uh, gradual empowerment also is the idea of getting kids to um, be able to make good choices. Um, also to be able to hear their voice in some way. Um, there may be certain things that they want to do differently. Um, you know, they're uh, their particular voice is really important and it's important for you as a director or for a teacher is to be authentic in the way you listen to them also to respond to it. So, but empowerment really becomes a centerpiece to a lot of the things that we do is giving kids choices and voices. And then part of that is integrating that whole element of personal social responsibility goals, those levels into the activity. So, trying to get kids for giving example trying to get kids to be active and not giving up sometimes that uh, giving them particular choices in terms of where they can work what types of things they can do uh, having examples of different challenges for them uh, uh, that is where kids can really kind of choose um, a particular level of activity um, which will be reflected in, in where they think they are relative to their ability to be successful, uh, keeps kids on track. And so that's where empowerment becomes an important part of it. So uh, 
one of the things that drives all of this is the people that run these programs. And for me, and I know Don Hellison is really focused on this, is is having a set of core values that uh, uh, really drives you as uh, as somebody that wants to really kind of deliver a personal social responsibility experience for kids. And um, these core values make a lot of sense uh, to me and I think to a lot of people that um, work with the uh, social responsibility model. And one is uh, putting kids first. Uh, this is what you're all about. Uh, we want to get kids to develop in a positive way. We want to see, see how they can see themselves as capable um, and being just good kids. And uh, so um, that is the focus of what you're doing. It's uh, not so much about me, but it's about the kids and what the way you uh, construct these different experiences. And that ties into human decency. Um, the idea that uh, we all want people to be good people. And when you uh, provide those opportunities, we get kids to work together, uh, to provide leadership, to help somebody else out. Uh, you really strike a chord in terms of uh, what it means to be uh, decent in terms of your your human uh, connection to others. And then uh, the holistic development also, uh, believing in terms of not just physical development, but the social, the psychological, and um, that's so important. And then uh, Nick Forsberg, I like his, he uh, added this one, um, who's a faculty member of the University of Regina. Uh, it's a way of being, it's who you are. Uh, so. You know, uh, the way you work with uh, kids and what you do with them is a reflection of who you are. And so it's a way of being. So those are kind of core values that really drive um, drive the program in different ways. So um, that's, uh, that's a little bit about what we do in terms of the program. Uh, I also, have the opportunity to uh, work with high school kids that are helping to deliver that program. And that uh, becomes part of the Youth Leader Corps. And I think you read an article, one of them was on the Youth Leadership Program. And that particular program uh, really is a program that uh, kind of takes a responsibility model to another level, giving kids responsible to uh, teach others the particular uh, responsibility goals to younger kids and to provide that uh, experience in a way that will let them take away those uh, values uh, in their own lives. And so in doing that, um, we have a high school program called the Youth Leader Corps. And that particular Youth Leader Corps, as they say, are high school kids that uh, have worked with me for years. And um, uh, they provide that uh, responsibility learning experience for younger kids that come in uh, into the gym. So um, I don't know. Give me the next slide. I'll just kind of kind of give you a quick shot of that. This is um, way we deal with the leadership program, and um, and this particular program, uh, I really think there's three assumptions that uh, have to operate. And one is that, uh, really there's a belief that all kids can are capable of being leaders. And I really find that kids can develop leadership opportunities, um, or values in if they're given the opportunity to do that. And, uh, and I think, um, all kids are capable of doing it. I've seen some kids that are so reticent about 
being involved and once you get them guide them in a leadership experience uh um, they will step forward i always name some will step forward more than others but um uh, i find uh most kids if not all the kids are are really capable of, of taking on that leadership responsibility and they need guidance uh, from us uh, i think that's important and um and i also believe this is going back to my own research and rosenthal's research is uh kids will rise to their level of expectation and i feel that um i i expect all kids to be able to to be able to be a leader in some way and and to be able to be effective and uh, i hope that that expectation is communicated i think it is in a way that uh, those kids will rise to the level of the expectation that i have for them so those are the assumptions that operate for that program um next slide real quick um there's different models that operate uh for leadership um this is one that uh we kind of extend onto it's uh van linden pertman's model and it just looks at different aspects of leadership youth leadership um uh they uh, focus on the idea of uh, awareness, of getting kids to be aware of what leaders, leadership means and how it's defined in different ways. And I think this is really important for what we do. Um, it's getting kids to have the experience of, of being a leader, to interact with others, uh, to be able to be socially competent, to be able to help others out, so important, and to really get good at it and to be able to master the leadership role in some way. And this particular model is pretty useful, I think, in terms of just kind of how you might envision kids to to be able to be effective leaders in some way. So we've kind of not intentionally, but I've kind of been aware of this these particular types of aspects of uh, leadership development. You hit the other one there, Eddie. And then uh, we have uh, different steps of leadership that we have used. Um, kind of expanding on Fertman's model. Um, we look at uh, different steps in which uh, kids can be leaders. Um, one is they learn to take responsibility, be a leader, and that kind of goes into the awareness part. Um, leadership awareness, uh, so important. What does it mean to be a leader? Uh, getting ideas about how they can have experience of leading. And what we'll do is cross-age leadership, having those kids come in and to be able to uh, work with these young kids. We do this uh, We do this every Friday. We have our high school kids um, provide uh, this personal social responsibility experience um, with younger kids that come in from different communities within Greensboro. These are uh, communities that are underserved communities. Um, most of the kids come in from public housing areas and uh, our high school kids that come from uh, high school and then also the middle college here on campus uh, plan and um, deliver these particular experiences to these kids to teach them personal social responsibility. So this cross-age leadership is a really important step forward and hopefully they become, they see themselves as true leaders. They they become self, self-actualized in terms of their leadership ability. So I'm going to stop there. Mr. Dyson, and I want to ask um, 
just to group real quick, if I can, uh, just in terms of your thoughts about, you know, kids in general. Um, I mentioned the assumption that all kids can become leaders and responsible uh, people, responsible leaders. Um, give me your sense of whether you think that's too far-fetched or do you think that is reality that can be done? First of all, uh, Tom, I'd like to thank you for your presentation and uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, I, I, I'd agree with you that kids can become responsible and I've worked with kids with in elementary schools from grade two on. Yeah. So I think uh, I would support that notion and I think kids can be responsible and take leadership and do a lot of this work that you propose way earlier than many people might think they can. And I'll leave it over to uh, the students to make comments now. Yeah. I'll go ahead and start. Hi, Dr. Martinick. How are you? Oh, there she is. <laughs> Hi, Judy. How are you? Good seeing you. I'm doing well, doing well. That's great. Um, uh, I, I think what um, it needs to be considered is and to connect it back to pedagogy with the theme of this course i think it's to put students in a leadership role definitely is possible if that's the goal of the teacher and that's how they want to present their classroom environment and to create opportunities for students to experience uh both how to be a leader and then how to um be a part of a team and not necessarily this you know to to bow down and, and be a follower but i do think there is that idea of when it's time to listen to other people's ideas and, and when you can be the leader. So I do yeah. think uh, having the teacher and having uh, the, the mindset of we can kind of relinquish from our direct te teaching style and, and to create more of the indirect models where we can provide that environment. Uh, I know personally, it's wonderful to see when you uh, can let go <laughs> long enough to create that environment. Yeah. And, and I want to go back that it does take some guidance too. And, um, you know, it's just not throwing them out there, but uh, guidance is important, but also tied to that guidance is that level of expectation that you have that they can do it. And I think that is a really important ally to have if you, you want kids to be able to acquire that particular mindset, you know, how they can help others. But uh, guidance is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Tom. Donnell, where were you? I missed you. I've been floating Good around. Good to see your face. Good to see you too. <laughs> um, yeah, Tom, I mean, I think, um, I think anything's possible with young people. Uh, and I've been lucky to be uh, introduced, I suppose, to people like yourself who have shown what is possible and what you can do. Um, I suppose the, the only thing about it, this kind of work, I guess, is, is that, you know, it, it there's no question that you can improve uh, students' lives or um, you can improve their circumstances or, get, or equip them with skills uh, to, uh, that, that, can, that, that can make them more prepared for life, I guess, or for their circumstances. But I suppose the nature of the work itself is kind of tragic in many ways too, is that for everyone you, you help, there's, you know, there's maybe one that gets away as well. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I think that's the... I, I think a lot of the, the crux of a lot of this kind of work is that it's very, um, you know, it can be very, it's, it's very time consuming. 
Uh, it requires a lot of energy. Uh, and like I said, for every for every one student you can equip with these skills, maybe there's another. There might be another student that that doesn't. And you know, that's the that's the kind of nature of the work. I think you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, as I say, you're not going to bet a thousand on on this. Um, it's impossible. And uh, you know, and I've had kids. Um, yeah, so, you know, for those that are all taught, you know, you have some kids that just really respond. And um, and they respond well in a program, and I want to go back to the idea of applying it outside the gym. They do well in the program, but in life, they just uh, it's a big challenge. I'll give you a good example, and this is a kid that I've worked with even today. And uh, this this guy, um, he I've worked with him since third grade all the way up to high school, and um, he never finished high school, but. When he worked with the kids here, he was so on as far as just meeting the kids at the door, um, understanding where they were, uh, knowing how to push, knowing how to step back. I mean, he just got it. But, um, you know, once he left, it was uh, his challenge in life was just tough. And um, he's one of these kids that uh, just couldn't couldn't navigate, couldn't take it beyond what we did here for some reason. And as a result, we just lost him. I mean, he ended up doing, you know, he was ended up incarcerated. He got incarcerated a couple times and, you know, we stayed in touch. But I tell you, if I had to, I think I might have mentioned, he's one of the kids I profiled in that article. And um, and he was uh, just, a, just a great kid. But, you know, that's that's the tough part about working with kids is that you can kind of you can catch some and and they'll do great and and sometimes will flourish even outside of the program and then you'll have kids that you know just do well in the program and don't do well and then you have some kids that don't do well in the program i mean it all it covers the whole gamut of different things but you know you got to go in you got to go in with the belief that uh it's there somewhere and um you know Hopefully it, you're able to, you know, strike it rich, you know, with a couple of kids and, you know, they're able to go forward. Yeah, but I think, right, Tom, yeah, no, and again, I didn't mean, I'm not trying to take it down, I, I present that tragic nature of it, but I think, we, you know, yeah, you asked earlier what we think of positive, when we think of youth development, and oftentimes I know, like, when I've heard it or when I think about it, it's like, oh, well, that's something that, doesn't that that doesn't happen and you know it's almost a taken for granted thing that this the this is taught in schools or that youth development is a primary focus yeah subjects in schools and it's not we find so too often that it's not um yeah. and then right. you know you're suddenly you know you're on the back foot because these youth development programs are specifically designed because there's nowhere else that these skills can be taught or that that they can get access or the experience that allows them to try and develop these skills, you know? That's right, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why the field is so important, you know, if we can develop it and have it have it available. And again, it's starting to, even some of the youth develop, as I mentioned earlier, the youth development principles are drifting into the schools a little bit more, I think, and having a little bit more impact on how teachers approach learning, you know, and, and again, it's a holistic thing. You know, and I think that's, and that's hard for teachers too. I mean, in a lot of ways, because uh, 
you know, they're expected to do certain things. And so, you know, kind of confines, uh, you know, your ability to reach out, you know, in an effective way. Yeah. And look, I mean, context is everything, Tom, you know, and nobody knows, nobody knows context better than you uh, here. You know what I mean? Uh, And it's just, uh, you know, I I often wonder when, when, when PE teachers are teaching TPSR in a classroom, is it, is, is it, you know, is it softer? Is, you know, uh, is it, is the approach, you know, how just, how really are they teaching or equipping these skills with students or, you know, is something missed because you see then the impact this can have in the after school programs, the immense impact it can have. You often wonder, does that really, does it, is the same thing happening in gyms or new development programs or is it just a case of one, one needs it more or the focus is more? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, you just, <clears throat> it depends. It goes back to what you believe is important as a classroom teacher, you know, what your core values are. And I don't think it has to be a total trade-off. You know, if you want to, I think TPSR can be done in different ways and it can be, you know, classroom teachers. There's we've had some classroom teachers that really, you know, really embrace the model and they have it, in a way that it isn't a trade-off in terms of getting content to the kids, but also it provides opportunities for kids to be responsible and they have some choices mm-hmm. and um, and to be able to help others too. So, but it's providing, you got to give them the experience. You got to give them the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it's not going to happen. So anyway, gonna, right, Judy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Judy knows about that because Judy's a big teacher. Hey, Tom, can you just ask, answer some of that question related to that, though? You know, like, so how do we help teachers, uh, you know, get this or get this pedagogy, this really student-centered care pedagogy? Where, where have you found, well, what things do you think have helped them with continuing professional development ideas? Well, I think uh, giving them an opportunity to know about it you know, just where, where they can get it and um, how they can uh, know what the model is and then to also to guide them in some way to be able to see how that can be integrated into into the regular learning. And again, you can give it to them, but there also has to be a belief by the teacher that this is important for them to be able to, the kids to be able to gain from the experience. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we did been in our early work with the elementary school when we first started is that um, we used to go into the classrooms, the teachers, we, we had a pretty good open door with them, but we used to go into the classrooms and they would let us teach a lesson using the TPSR model in their class. So they understood what, what it was about. And then also we brought them into this campus to Uh, learn about what we were doing in the program so that they had some idea what was there, what was the purpose of the program and to know a little bit about the spirit of the TPSR model and also to talk about how that, that particular model can be applied in their own teaching. And, you know, first, again, for some teachers it worked out great, you know, they took it with them and, and some, you know, it was just really tough to, tough to accept. So but that's the nature of the beast, I guess, you know, right. so, yeah. Sure. But I, I, yeah, I, I, look, think it, I think it's a, 
again, going back to where we are right now, um, you've got, as I say, social emotional learning uh, is such a big thing right now. And teachers are, you know, supposed to focus on that. Well, what is it? Well, you know, if you want to look at TPSR, which is a great vehicle, which touches upon the particular concepts of social emotional learning so much uh, is connected to that. You know, you have that that particular framework to to really help in terms of maybe helping teachers realize how it can be done some way. So we actually we, we had Paul Wright uh, a couple of weeks ago, Tom, um, and Paul did a study. I was involved with a study in Spain uh, with um, oh, uh, Escarte and Lopez Goy. Yeah. Is, is that yeah. the pronounced, correct pronunciation? Yeah, Escarte. Yeah, and just like, you know, they, they actually looked at TPSR across a whole school outside of P and in other subjects as well, too. Uh, and, you know, they, they found the same things that, like, you know, the, the, the pedagogical approaches that they were using, the TPSR philosophy or the elements, I yeah. suppose, were equally yeah. as applicable in other yeah. subjects and actually had, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing in other subjects for other for teachers as well, too, you know, which is exciting, I suppose, and encouraging. Like, you know, you can be... It's important not to just maybe silo, or silo it in, uh, in physical education as well, too, because it's clear that this approach, having originated in physical education and being particularly powerful through the concept of, of play or physical activity or sport, can also be done as well, you know, in other, in other avenues, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, everybody has their own way of interpreting it, too, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, but uh, one thing that Paul's been able to do you know, he's big on assessment and how to evaluate TPSR and looking at, especially one of the things is uh, looking at fidelity of uh, the model and how it's being implemented. And uh, so you want, the fidelity is so important because you can have TPSR, you can use the model and say you're using it. And then you look at, are you giving kids choices? Are you giving kids voices? Are you providing opportunities for kids to um, help somebody? Um, are you giving kids the opportunity to work as a team? Um, and, you know, if that is not, if it's not happening, if it's not happening, then you, you, you kind of question whether the spirit of the TPS model is there in some way. And so Paul's been able to assess that in some way. And he's found that, you know, a lot of not a lot, but he's found teachers that say, yeah, I'm using the TPSR model, but he finds out when he observes and assesses it uh, that there's a lot of these things missing. And so it's not an add-on. You know, you, you don't do one thing and then say, now, how did we use your – I have trouble with that with our high school kids. You know, I want to teach um, leadership to kids. Just I'm going to focus on leadership. Well, if you look at their lesson, there isn't one opportunity – that the kids have allowed them to work with each other or to help somebody else out in some way. And so they, so they get the kids in a circle and they say, all right, give me an example of how you use leadership today. Well, there was no example because did, they didn't give an opportunity for it. So the integration of it, the idea of how you get uh, those particular responsibility goals and values integrated into the lesson is part of the pedagogy that's so important. And I would say that the two challenges that are mm -hmm. hard, the hardest from 
working with, well, in, with teachers as well as with my high school leaders. Mm -hmm. The first challenge is pedagogy, is getting them to have the pedagogical skills to be able to get kids to, one, work together, to be able to guide them in a way that they have a positive uh, leadership experience, uh, to be able to set up an, ex an experience where kids have choices. I mean, that takes pedagogy. You, you've got to know how to do that and to give feedback and to, and that's, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, we have a teacher ed program. That's, that's what we teach kids for two years, three years. I don't know. How long does it take you? <laughs> two or three years. But anyway, <laughs> but longer than that, I think. <laughs> but pedagogy is a big factor and it's uh, how you, how you can integrate these uh, values is uh, really important. So, right. and getting that, and then the other, the second, I think the other challenge, I'll go back to this, is getting kids to apply it in, uh, in their own lives and not just to school. That's a, the biggest challenge I find. So, you know, you want the bottom line, is Robert Coles, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he always talks about the biggest thing we need to do is to, uh, is to create good people simple as that good people and uh so if we can create good people you know we've done our job or at least planted the seeds of what it means to be good to each other and compassionate in some way and uh you know you get i say physical activity sport it's a perfect vehicle to mm -hmm. be able to provide that opportunity and we should exploit that that opportunity in in all ways and one way you can do it is is to have some kind of framework, and the TPSR framework is something that works well for us. Yeah. Well, Tom. Uh, okay. Thank you so much for your time, uh, and we, yeah. you're leaving well, us with two very <laughs> very important pedagogical skills that we're going to remember uh, yeah. and keep focusing on to help us understand this creative pedagogy that you've been involved with for many years. So we'd just yeah. like to thank you, and I'm sure everyone would like to thank you in an appropriate manner. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you so got a much. good group. You got yeah. a good group there, Ben. Yeah, it's not hard. I told you it wouldn't be hard, and I really appreciate your time. And uh, you know, all these students do too. So thank you so much. And, Thanks, gang. Uh, all the best to you. Get off now. Yeah. And hope you guys you. get through all this craziness here. Yeah. <laughs> move forward so we'll see take, what happens yeah. Yeah. Tom you take good care yeah, okay you. you too gang all right take care cheers Tom yeah. take care of yourselves take care of your families and your friends you too cheers guys you too yeah. good night everybody bye here's your you good Jennifer you